if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We're continuing our series uh, called Christophany. Uh, that is Jesus in the Old Testament. A Christophany is a, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, these are appearances that are physical in nature, uh, and they point us to the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the triune Godhead. So uh, we looked at several passages um, when we first began this series that kind of laid the foundation for understanding Jesus in the Old Testament. One of, the thi- one of those that we looked at was the road. What happens on this particular occasion is this is the day that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and he encounters two people heading to a town called Emmaus. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus explained the scriptures to them on their way to Emmaus and explained how the scriptures pointed to Jesus. So there's a couple of things that that does for us. One, it tells us that when we read the Old Testament, we should be looking for Jesus. We should be looking for how does this passage understand the gospel better. But then there's something else that happens in that, uh, road, on that road to Emmaus. And it should be our goal. Uh, at the end, when they discovered that the, not only the scriptures point to Jesus, but then they discovered that they were actually walking with Jesus, they made this statement. They said, did not our hearts just burn within us as he explained the scriptures? That should be, at least in part, that's, that's part of our goal for this series. We want to look to the Old Testament, we want to see Jesus, and we want it to impact us in such a way that our hearts are stirred. That our hearts are stirred. The second thing is this. The Apostle Paul uh, said that the Old Testament was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So that's our twofold goal for this series. One, that God would do something as we'd see Christ in the Old Testament, that it would stir our hearts. And then the second thing, that it might be a teacher, a tutor for us uh, to help us to understand our faith better. Now, there is a lot of historical background before we jump into our focal text this morning. We're going to be looking at a man named Jacob. Jacob uh, and his wrestling match with God, more specifically Christ. So let's consider, if we will, let's consider Jacob's background. Jacob is the younger brother of a twin. Uh, So Jacob is a twin. He's the younger brother. His older brother Esau, uh, born just before him, was a uh, hairy individual. He was hairy at birth. Uh, he was just a hairy man uh, uh, throughout adulthood. And uh, he was a, what, what we might call a man's man. He was the hunter. Uh, he was the one that, that goes out and, and kills dinner. That's, that's Esau. Jacob comes behind him. Jacob is less of the the man that Esau is in the sense of the hunter. He's more of the mama's boy. 
uh, he's going to be the one in the kitchen helping cook whatever Esau brings in, that type of uh, background. So Jacob is the younger, uh, and they are uh, the children of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Jacob deceives his father. We're familiar with that narrative. He, he deceives his father Isaac in order to receive both uh, his brother's birthright as well as a blessing. Now, a birthright is simply uh, a double portion of their inheritance. Uh, the oldest, the firstborn, would get twice what anybody else would get. And Esau sold that to Jacob uh, for a bowl of soup. Uh, some translations say lentil soup. If it was Olive Garden's lentil soup, I could understand why. That stuff is good. Uh, but uh, the second is the blessing. Anyone doesn't necessarily have to be the, the oldest, but any of the, the, of the children can receive the blessing, but it often goes to the oldest. So as a result, um, Jacob deceives his brother, gets, him, gets his birthright. He deceives his father, gets a blessing. And as a result, uh, Esau is outraged and he vows to kill Jacob after a period of mourning of, of his father's death. But his father doesn't pass away uh, anytime soon. But because Esau threatened to kill Jacob, Jacob ran for his life. And he went to his uncle uh, Laban and lived there in their ancest ancestral home of Haran. On his journey there, all of the, and, and all of these may be familiar to you because we have a tendency to isolate these, right? Uh, we have a tendency to read about, oh, he, he took the birthright from his brother, and we read that story. Or we read about his heading to his uncle Laban's. Uh, or we read about he encounters this ladder, and this ladder on his way to his uncle's he sees this ladder, and on the ladder at the top, he sees God. And then this ladder, there are angels coming and going between heaven and earth. And as a result, he calls the place Bethel. Beth meaning house, and El meaning God, or the house of God. Because he can see the angels are just coming and going back and forth between heaven and earth. Jacob settled in and began his work with his uncle Laban, a shepherd. Uh, and while he was there, he, he kind of got sweet on Laban's daughter. Yes, that would be his cousin. Uh, but anyway, uh, his, his daughter, Rachel, uh, you know, he, he's sweet on her, and he agrees with Laban to work seven years, seven years for her hand in marriage. Now, ironically, Laban deceives Jacob and switched daughters on Jacob the day of their wedding for the older daughter, Leah. And we're familiar with that narrative, but we often read it how? We read it isolated from all the others, right? Now, Laban said Jacob would need to work another seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. That's going to be 14 years, but he agreed. And then it's going to be another six years. He's going to make a deal with him. And Jacob is a little bit deceitful here. 
uh, but works for another six years to earn livestock. So we have a total of 20 years have gone by for Jacob to have worked for Laban. Laban's deceiving Jacob. Jacob is deceiving Laban. But after 20 years, Laban's sons grew hostile toward Jacob. They recognized that, well, he's taking part of their inheritance. And the Lord said to Jacob, this is after 20 years, that it was time for him to, quote, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Now let's be clear about what's happening. Again, we have a tendency to, to read all of those little narratives, almost like short stories. And we have a tendency to read them in such a way that they're disconnected from one another. But let me be clear. Jacob has a history of wrestling with people his entire life. All along. Jacob's long history is wrestling. Let me give you an example. Even before he was born, look with me. Genesis, this is found in Genesis 25, verse 22. Here's what it says. The babies jostled each other within her. Huh. Do you see what's happening right off the bat? Jacob is already wrestling his brother. And they're not even out of the womb. In fact, the word here that in my translation, New King James, is translated jostled, the Hebrew word means to crush or oppress. It is literally a wrestling term to try to overcome the other, suggesting that in the womb, Jacob and Esau were already wrestling one another. Now, because of this unusual nature, it, 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 we recognize that these fetal movements are not normal. So at their birth, not only was he wrestling inside, what are we told about their actual moment of birth? J Jacob comes out doing what? He's still wrestling with him. And he does what? He grabs at his brother's heel. He's grabbing at the heel of Esau. So when we, when we begin to recognize that this is not unusual behavior, this is something that Jacob has done from the moment that he was in the womb, that he has wrestled from that point, and he is going to continue to wrestle uh, throughout his adult life. But whenever we think that he, it, whenever Jacob thinks that he is about to lose a wrestling match, here's what he does. He runs. He ran from Esau 20 years earlier, and now he's running from Laban again. Now before we jump too far in, there are two moves that have been around a long time in wrestling. So as long as there's been wrestling, there have been these moves. 
Now, they may not have always called them these things, but they have existed. The first one is what today, modern day, we call the reversal. The reversal. Now, what is that? If you're in a wrestling match and you're the one that is playing defense and you're about to get pinned and things don't look good, you're fighting hard. You're grabbing at the heel, right? You, your opponent, you're doing everything that you can to do what? To do a reversal, to, to switch roles, to switch from defense to offense, to reverse things so that you are now the one who is dominating or replacing the other. You want to be in a reversal. You want to be the supplanter. You want to be the one who is currently in defense, but you're going to make a move and you're going to reverse the roles. That is the idea in the move of the reversal. There's another wrestling move, and it's called the escape. Now, both of these are moves that are made by a person playing defense, okay? If you're wrestling with someone, these are moves that the person who is, who is in danger of being pinned, they want to do a reversal or they want to escape. The idea of escape is you do whatever you can to get out of the situation that you're in. You're wrestling with someone, they're about to pin you, they're about to take you down, what do you do? Escape. You get out. Now, what does Jacob do throughout his life? He either wants to reverse the roles. He either wants to move from the defense to the offense and be the supplanter. Or he wants to be the one to just get out of the situation. So what we see in Genesis 31, just before our focal passage, the chapter before, he has an escape plan. Now, I had an escape plan as well when I was growing up. I had an older uncle that was really more of a, a brother, just a few years older than I am. And the two of us would rough house and wrestle. Here was my escape plan. Inevitably, he's going to have me pinned. And a lot of times he would, he would torture me. My escape plan was to call for mammal, right? Yeah, call for my grandmother. You know, as soon as I called for my grandmother, uh, then my uncle let go. He walked away. That was my escape plan. Well, Jacob had an escape plan. Listen to Genesis chapter 31, just the first three verses. It says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your father's and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now, I want to be clear here because Jacob's motivation for returning wasn't really out of obedience to the Lord. His motivation was out of fear of Laban and his sons. So Jacob took Esau's inheritance. We saw that earlier. And now he is taken has taken what belongs to Laban's sons. 
it's time for that escape move.